This morning, we are going to give you a choice of which preach you are going to listen to. There is this preach here, the H and S preach, or there is this preach over here, the R and D preach. So you've got a choice this morning between H and S or R and D. You choose which preach. We're going to call it Brexit. Make sure you choose well. Now, I need to tell you before you make your choice what these letters stand for. This preach here, HNS, stands for happy and safe. This preach here, R and D, stands for risky and dangerous. Now, what do you want? Happy and safe or risky and dangerous? Do I hear? Does anybody want to do happy and safe? Paul Corelius, come here. Come here, Paul Corelius. You are going to find out. Does anybody want to do risky and dangerous? Okay, now you've been warned. You've been warned. You, you said it. I sound like the Prime Minister, don't I? You said you wanted this. Right, come up here, please. You wanted a happy and safe preach. Tone, can I ask you a favour, please? Could you clear off all the seats along here next to you where your wonderful family has been sitting? Paul, you need to get ready for a happy and safe preach this morning. So, happy and preach is also called health and safety. H&S. So, please put that on. It's going to be warmer in a minute. Now, you may remember, over the last several weeks, we have... You take your shoes off, you need to get in there. We have been studying a particular passage of the Bible, Mark chapter 8. And in a moment, we're going to summarize that and just remember where we've been coming from before we get into today. Because in the risky and dangerous, by the way, I had no notes out here. You'll notice that. I really was prepared to do either. He's going to get one sermon. You're all going to get the rest. Right, who was up for a risky and dangerous sermon? Let me see some hands here. Mick Collinson, come here. Who else was up for a risky and dangerous sermon? Oh, there's a few people here. Oh, who can I look around? I'm, I'm trying, I'm just trying to, right, Okay, who am I going to choose for? Nathan, you come here. You'll do fine, yeah. Right, here you go. This is the risky and dangerous sermon. Put that on, please. Put that. Go and stand over there with Mick. You're the risky and dangerous type, so here you go. Put that on. This is how you get to do a risky and dangerous. Now, you may remember a few weeks ago, we said there is a problem in our nation, and it is not political. It's nothing to do with Brexit. There is a far bigger problem than that. The problem is, do you remember? The problem is, I can find it in my box here. I hope I've got it. No, it seems to disappear, but I will find it in a moment. It'll be one moment. Right. Start with that. There we go. Do you remember we said the problem in our nation 
was lack of perception. We cannot, other way, other way up, other way up, yeah, it's a French one, so it's got to go the way up. Right, yeah. Here is the problem. God wants to help us understand our identity and who we are in Him, in Christ. But we lack perception to see it. And we've had four sessions looking at Mark chapter 8 on the disciples and what it means to be a disciple. Now, the next passage we're going to is Luke chapter 8. And it's sort of in the middle of Jesus' ministry, like the other one. And if the last passage was about seeing and perception, this passage is about hearing and listening. So, this is the problem with our nation. It's the problem with our politicians. It's the problem with our people. And actually, it's the problem with our believers in Christ as well. We said there was two kinds of people when Jesus turns up. The followers, the crowds, who on the occasion we looked at were 99.7%, and the true disciples, the leaders, the world changers who are 0.3%. And we said all of Jesus' ministry was to turn this into this. Please come forward, gentlemen. You can see where you're going. So Paul this morning has opted for the followers sermon. He has opted for the happy and safe sermon. So this is the, all the revelation he gets. Paul, keep there. And I'm going to give you something to take with you in a moment. Just hold on to that in that hand there. No, take the other hand. Actually, there we are. Hold on to that. You're going to need that. Oh, no, sorry. Put that down a moment, Paul. If you opt for the happy and safe sermon, you don't get your hands dirty. So just put these on to keep, keep, keep your hands from getting dirty. These guys, they get their hands dirty. So in my bag here for you guys is a little bit of protective clothing. But you get clear vision. There you go. Got those gloves on, Paul. Excellent. Just take that one in the left hand. Now, something for your right hand, because we want you to be comfortable and happy and safe. <laughs> you see, Paul, who wants the happy and safe sermon, all he wants to do is come to church and have a comfortable time. He just wants to be comfortable, but not see much and not get any challenge at all. I'm going to give you that. Paul, that's a glass of liquid here, so be careful. It's a nice one. There is nice slur in there, okay? So you can be comfortable. Now, Paul also wears this health and safety kind of warning around him that says, don't challenge me. Keep off. You know, I don't want to be talked to like that. I don't want to get my life and my marriage and my money and my kids in order. So danger, stay away. This is a no-go area. I just want to come to church and be comfortable, and have a nice, happy, and safe sermon. So Paul, uh, Andy, I wonder if you could help me now. Just come and help Paul here. Just lead him and lie him along those four chairs there, okay? <laughs> Watch the liquid in his hand. You got it, you got it. It's, it's about half full, that glass. You'll be okay. Off you go, Paul. Paul represents the happy and safe sermon. But these guys <laughs> are up for something risky and dangerous. 
Okay, guys, you can go sit back down in your seats now. You're ready for the sermon. That's it, fine. Keep the suits on until you boil. But that will be fine. Now, there is a statistic in the UK. If you take all the people like Paul who want a happy and safe sermon on a Sunday morning and you lie them end-to-end on the pews in church, this is the statistic. They will all be a lot more comfortable. Paul, enjoy the ministry this morning. You're happy, safe, comfortable. Nobody's going to challenge you. Nobody's going to ask you to do anything. Nobody's going to ask you to change. Enjoy the message, if any of it gets through at all. Now, in my risky and dangerous bag, I have, apart from the Bible, one of the most dangerous books ever written. I promise you, and I'm going to get out in a moment and show you, but I promise you, this book will seriously damage your health if you dare read it, which I recommend you don't. Don't read this book, because if you do, you won't end up like Paul there. You'll end up like Nathan or like Mick Collinson. Men of risk and danger. Of course. So let's read our scripture. And then uh, we're going to have the risky and dangerous sermon. And I promise you, this risky and dangerous sermon, in all but a small number of churches in this country this morning, they wouldn't dare do this. They wouldn't dare say some of the things I'm going to say this morning. They wouldn't dare teach or preach some of the things I'm about to say to you this morning. Do you still want this? Would you rather go for that? You're all getting a bit nervous now, aren't you? Now, by the way, we do have stewards. Darren, would you stand up, please? Now, we have stewards around the place, like Colin here. Colin, I wonder if you just go and stand by the fire door there for us. Colin's job as a steward is twofold. It's to get you all in, and, he's to, and he oversees a fire door here, and his job as a steward at the fire door is if there's an emergency, he has to open the door and make sure the building is cleared very rapidly. At least that's what you think his job is. Actually, his job is to stand at the door and make sure you don't get out this morning. (laughs) Thank you, Colin. None shall pass, okay? Right, let's read the scripture and see if you still want to be risky and dangerous. After this, this is Luke chapter 8, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town to town, he told this parable, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell. Paul, Paul, do you want to change your mind about which? Yeah, good. Sit up then and be risky and dangerous with the rest of us. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town to town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. 
Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Uh, still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, whoever has ears to hear, whoever is not wearing a spiritual pair of these, let him hear. Catch. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that those seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. In other words, they have a happy and safe sermon. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy. And when they hear it, they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. There is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have, will be taken from them. Let's close our eyes and pray for a moment, shall we, please? Could you pray with me, please? I'm going to ask the Lord to speak to us today. Lord Jesus, today, please speak to my spirit and heart. Help me take off the blindfold and the earmuffs and hear your word and receive by faith the word implanted which is able to change my life and save my soul. Amen. Now, just a reminder of where we've come from in the World Changes series. We said earlier there are two kinds of people. The crowds and the followers or the disciple, the leaders, the world changers, who are there when Jesus is around. And Jesus' intention in all his teaching and all his ministry is to turn the orange suits into the white suits. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to move people from being merely followers to being full-on disciples. And we've said a disciple is somebody who is a leader at heart, at one level or another, and a world changer. Please look at the person next to you and say, he is talking about you. And please say back to the other person, you are a leader. Now the problem is, the majority don't get it. They've still got the blindfolds on, they've still got the ear protectors on, they don't hear it, they don't see it. And instead of living an exciting, revolutionary, thrilling, on the edge of your life, risky and dangerous for the kingdom sort of life, wearing a white suit like Mick and Nathan, 
they live an ordinary life in a hazard suit saying, don't disturb. And this is what you're not disturbing. Do you remember? 26 years spent sleeping. Seven years lying in bed trying to get to sleep. 13 years of your life working. 13 years and two months, of which one year and two months will be unpaid overtime. Uh, 11 years looking at screens. 21 years sitting down. Uh, over a year on romance, four and a half years on eating, and you will eat, if you're British and living in this country, 479 fish fingers, 1,033 chickens, 4,376 loaves of bread, that's 87,000 slices. You will cry 121 pints of tears, dream 104,390 dreams, take 7,163 baths or showers, and spend either 114 days shaving in front of the mirror or two whole years washing your hair and styling it. That's the happy, well, that's the happy and safe sermon way. Boring, you said it. It's boring. Fish fingers, chicken, and hair drying. Sitting on a chair, looking at a screen. How boring is that? Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. Listen, life is not in that bag there. Life is in the risky and dangerous bag over here. Now, we said our true purpose in life is to be a disciple who is a world changer. And that starts with changing yourself because very few people can actually do that. Did you know that? If you can change yourself at all, you are in a small minority in this world. Some of the most powerful men in the world, apparently, with all the money and resources and all the polit political uh, uh, capital at their disposal, cannot change themselves. But in Christ, when you're in Christ and Christ is in you and the Holy Spirit of God in you and is in you and the power of the new birth and the word of God is at work in you, you have the power to change yourself. You are more powerful than Putin or Trump today if you can change just one thing about your life. Why don't you say to the person next to you, you're better than Putin or Trump, doodle. <laughs> Amen. Some of you seem very relieved at being told that. I wonder why. Now, last week we looked at Supernatural provision. How the disciples were able to survive in the boat with just one loaf of bread because Jesus was in the boat with them. That's the power of supernatural provision. So today we're looking at this passage in Luke. And we're carrying on in this same theme of understanding our true calling and purpose to be world changers. And in the story we've looked at, I'm going to just take the first part of that story in the next week or two. And you may remember that we started, or we, we, last time we had in that teaching on Mark, some guys sitting up here last week, the disciples in the boat with Jesus. Twelve guys. Well, this week, we're starting with the women. You see... The men is what the story was about, the 12. But being a world changer is not just for men. This is for men and women. It's for everyone. 
And it's especially for people who don't think they are the right type or likely. Now, this point I'm calling the importance of the women. Let me read you again what it says in the chapter we've read, Luke 8. Verse 1, halfway through, says, The twelve were with him and also some women. Now, that may not impact you very much, but the day that this was written, that was an amazing statement. Let me see if I can explain this to you in another way. We have um, some great guests with us this morning. We've got Pastor Ian Nundy and Josh Nundy with us. I wonder if we could give them a, a welcome and a round of applause. He's here to, he's making notes on his phone. He's checking up on you all on behalf of Pastor Caesar. So he's going to, when he talks to you afterwards, make sure you, you've met your goals, all right? Because this is all going back to Bogota. And uh, we also have um, Pastora Elizabeth Good from Switzerland, Germany. Thank you for being here, Elizabeth. And it's to Switzerland I turn for this example of the difference between men and women and the expectations on them. There is a football team in Switzerland called FC Basel. They have won the league about 20 or so times. They're a great team, like Newcastle. Listen, we did say this was a day of faith and breakthrough, okay? And... Recently, they had their 125th anniversary of the club. So what they did was they invited over a thousand dignitaries to an incredibly posh dinner. And at the dinner, you got the chance to meet the first team squad of men. But they also had a women's team. Do you know what they did with the women's team? They dressed them in football gear and they sent them around the tables to sell raffle tickets. And then afterwards, all they gave them was sandwiches. Some of you are looking at me like this. You're going, oh, is that it? Is that? The Swiss themselves couldn't believe it. I mean, they thought they had laws to stop you doing this sort of thing. They thought they were a, a modern, progressive country that didn't have this kind of look down on women and treat them differently kind of culture. But that's what they did. And then they sought to justify it afterwards. Well, we'll put some dinner on for them some other time, which they'll be invited. I mean, the humiliation of it. Does that make you feel, isn't that awful? Well, listen, if you lived in the time of Jesus, as a woman, you felt like that every Saturday or every Friday night. Because when you went to synagogue, the men would be down the front and behind some kind of partition, and depending on the style of it, how thick the partition was, at the back would be the women. You always sat separately to the men. When I took a, a job in the building trade, we built a synagogue. And I remember I had to specify all the wood for this, this wooden rail at the back. There's a slightly raised platform. The women sit behind a wooden rail uh, and the men sit down the front. Now, some synagogues are more progressive than that these days, but mainly in conservative Jewry in Britain, that's how the women sit. They still sit separately. So when Jesus has women there with the 12, it's just a small statement here in the Bible, but it is incredibly different to the world that he is living in. Nobody ever did that before. The women were just sent around the table to sell raffle tickets. But with Jesus, it's the 12 and some women. The women are just as important as 
for men. Please turn to your neighbor, especially if you're married, turn to your husband or wife and say, the women are just as important as the men. Funny, I can hear a lot more ladies' voices than men at the moment. Is there, is there something wrong here? Am I, am I missing a trick? Listen, the women in this football team didn't kick up a fuss. They didn't kick up a fuss because they thought, well, that's just what happens to women football players. Other people in Switzerland read about this. Shocking way to treat the women in the team, part of the club. Aren't you outraged? We thought that's just what women were supposed to do. I mean, hello? 2,000 years after Jesus, including the women, and we're still thinking, well, this is just what women do. We still haven't caught up with Jesus, let alone with current legislation. Elizabeth, in Switzerland, the women are just as important. Amen? And in Germany, where you minister and work as well. Do you know, this is one of the great features of the G12 vision. The women are just as important as the men. In fact, when you look at the numbers of cells, the women are doing better than men by a long way. So I'd like the men to turn to the women and say, the men are nearly as good as the women. You would think that would have registered in the church by now after 2,000 years. But you see, between the church and the truth of Jesus in the Bible stands a whole lot of stuff, including our culture, which gets into the church, and we end up treating the women just like they were FC Basel football team. Not so the G12 vision. Women have cells. Women preach and teach. Women Pray for the sick and minister to people with the laying on of hands. Women grow the church. Women minister. Women do the real stuff. They do all the important stuff that Jesus did and that the men do. Amen? Amen. That is our vision. And men, we can learn a lot from the women. So this is what I'd like you to do this morning, men. You said, I said, risk and dangerous. See, I hear some of you men, the way you talk to your wives, and I wonder if you really have got what I'm saying to you, whether you've got those blindfolds on and those ear muffs on. If your culture gives you any other view, then you need to change your thinking and culture, men. Men, please would you all stand up? Just the men. Now, turn around, look at the women. I'd like you to give them a great round of applause and a clap. For who they are, who God's made them. Thank you very much. Please take a seat. Now, the women in this story represent something important to us as well, and that is found in the word unlikely. Jesus calls the unlikely people. 
That's good news for the men as well, because the men in that boat, the men that were there, all bar one, were extremely unlikely. One of the men was very likely. We think his name is Iscariotes in Greek. Iscariot means a scholar or something like that. Or he might have been another freedom fighter. We're not quite sure. But a lot of people think Judas was a scholar. But all the other guys were rough old fishermen and ex-freedom fighters and all that. So they were not a likely bunch. A likely bunch would be to go to the synagogues and recruit 12 trained rabbis. So Jesus chose unlikely men. Husbands, did you know your wife chose an unlikely man? No, that doesn't sound good to you, does it? Anyway, in God, in God. So many of us are the unlikely ones here today. Yet God chose us. God took me from a broken family and a broken life on a broken down council estate with a broken down group of friends, most of whom were in prison by the time I got saved. and showed that he could make something out of a life like mine. And do the same for all of us, however unlikely we are. Listen, the women are good news for us this morning. They tell us that Jesus breaks through the limitations of human thinking, that he does things differently, and that he reaches out to the unlikely people. Now, there's a problem with that. And it goes like this. See, when Jesus chooses me as an unlikely person, that's good. But then he puts me in a church full of unlikely people and I'm not so keen on unlikely people anymore because unlikely people bring unlikely problems and challenges with them. So I think, oh, it's good that I'm the unlikely one, but what about all these other people around? You know, Listen, get used to being with each other. You're going to be stuck with each other for eternity. So make it good and sweet now. Get all the practice you can in now of living well with each other, being forgiving, loving, appreciative, and caring, and men especially, appreciate the women. Don't just send them to sell the raffle tickets. You go sell the raffle tickets and let them have the dinner. Be servant-hearted like Jesus was. Amen? By the way, we don't agree with selling raffle tickets. I just want you to know that. (laughs) Okay. Now... That's my first point, the importance of the women. My second point is this, and this is where the sermon gets risky and dangerous. The women were also disciples, leaders, and world changers. But between their becoming those exciting world changers, there were some things that had to be ministered in their life. The first was, was to get them to ever believe they could be used by God. That's getting the blindfold off and looking in the mirror and saying, yes, I am a world-changing disciple leader. But there was something else the women had a problem with, and that is the power of the demonic in their life. We're told here that Jesus had to get them delivered from their demons. So is the main theological point of our story that the women are good, but they're full of demons? Some of you husbands are laughing too much. I am worried about your response here. 
What does this mean for us today? Now, this is where you've got to hear something and get those headphones off, blindfolds off, and understand something. There is a very real power of the demonic in this world. That's harder to believe in some nations than in others for various reasons of unbelief and supposed scientific thinking. And you notice what the Bible says here, that between those women being around Jesus and becoming there with the twelve, able to be those world-changing disciples, there was a little housekeeping that Jesus had to do called casting out of demons. And that's the same for the women and the men. The demonic grips in our lives stand between us and really being those purposeful, called, world-changing people God called us to be. And by telling us what the Bible tells us, it tells us that Jesus brought these women into his inner circle. They're there with the twelve. He welcomes them in, untypically revolutionizing the whole view of women in society at that time. But that doesn't change the fact that the women had issues as well as the men. Now, we kind of expect the men to have issues. But something about the women tells us something. You know, there's this little girl, she once said to her mummy, she said, Mummy, do only women go to heaven? And the mummy says, What do you mean, my dear? She said, Well, all the angels, they look like girls, and none of them have beards. And her mummy said, well, that's because men get saved by a whisker. (laughs) Think about it. Men barely make it. We expect men to have problems. But we don't expect nice, respectable ladies to have problems. They're gentler, nicer, more together, more caring, more faithful. On the whole, better people. I think that will be a fair summary and assumption to make of how society in general looks at women. The demonic is a scale in the New Testament between the guy called Legion who has something like four and a half or six to 6,000 demons. There's a bit of a flexible number in a Roman Legion here. Right down here to these women who had some demons cast out and they're not sure how many except Mary Magdalene is told, we are told she has seven cast out of her. Some commentators think that's seven literally or seven types, or a complete number. She got completely set free. Seven in the Bible is also a number of completeness. So there are various ways you can read that. Somewhere between Legion over here and the women down there are the rest of us. That's what he's telling us. Men and women. Listen, if the women who are decent people, almost by background, by nature, by culture, whatever, if they've got problems and so have all the rest of us. If they need Jesus to come along and get rid of the presence of evil spirits in their lives, then so the rest of us. Now, here's a curious thing. Some Christians don't think you can have an evil spirit. They think that when you become a Christian, all your spirits leave. And this woman, she came to our church from a different background that believed that. 
And she was adamant about that. So I said to her, well, then, why do we have casting out of demons? There's no point. If you cast demons out of people and they don't get saved, you've just done them a disservice. And if they get saved and give their life to Jesus and get born again, their demons leave anyway. No point. Why have the discernment of spirits? Why have the casting out of spirits? She said, well, I don't believe that. I believe that you lose all your demons when you become born again. And she was hung up on a mistranslation of the Bible. Your Bible will say demon-possessed. Listen, there is no word possessed there in the Greek. That's a modern English heresy in a lovely Bible like the NIV, the new inaccurate version. The Greek does not say possessed. It says demonized. Some part of your life is demonized. Listen, we're here in this hall now. You don't know what's going on in the room upstairs at the back there. You don't know what's going on down the creche. There's another room with other activity going on. That's like our lives. Jesus calls our lives a house. He said the demon enters in, gets into one room, but in other rooms, they may not be there. So having a demon is like having someone unwelcome in one room in a big house. The rest of it may be yours. You're not possessed. But in that area, you are gripped with a force and a power beyond yourself that is real and true. And Jesus says of his own generation, who are the cleanest, godliest, best living people the world had ever known, he said, this generation is becoming increasingly demonized. And the latter state should be worse than the first. That's in Matthew 12. Now, if decent, respectable Jewish people who've kept the law all their lives are demonized, if nice, sweet, lovely ladies who are fit to minister as part of Jesus' team are demonized, men, there's no hope for the rest of us. I mean, we'd better start repenting right now before I finish the sermon. This is widespread and prevalent. This is a challenge to us all. Now, if you want to come to church for a nice, safe sermon and sit in the front here with your orange suit on and your ears covered and not hear this stuff, well, then just put the earphones on now. You said you wanted a risky and dangerous sermon. Well, you're getting it. And it's hardly warmed up yet. <laughs> so you can leave now if the demon drags you out of the hall because he doesn't want to hear anymore. Discipleship and deliverance from the demonic go hand in hand together. We call it deliverance because every day the Lord teaches us to pray, deliver us from evil, or the Greek could equally be translated, deliver us from the evil one. Well, let's go and get my dangerous book, shall we? Now, I warned you, do not read this book. I read this book foolishly on holiday once. Not a good idea. It ruined my holiday. Actually, it made my holiday. It's the best holiday I've ever had. There's a book by Derek Prince called They Shall Expel Demons. I felt I needed to read this again to remind myself of my own spiritual roots. I got personally prayed for by the author of this book. I met him. Hallelujah. It's great. There used to be a song around in those days, Jesus is changing me. 
and the chorus goes hallelujah and really it was hallelujah that I got so much help from this ministry now in this book Derek Prince sets out his own ministry of praying for people with demonic issues here's a little list he gives us of how the scripture labels certain demonic forces now think of these women who are nice respectable people what sort of problems are they going to have well i suppose hanging out down the pool hall and chewing tobacco is probably not going to be their thing is it carrying guns and threatening the neighbors when their dog barks too loud i mean that's not going to be their kind of behavior don't you do that in Yorkshire? We do that up here in Newcastle. I just, you Yorkshire guys, a bit soft down there, you know, Newcastle. This is, this is how we are, you know. They've come up here to learn to be real northern men, not this, not this pretense of being a bit, a bit northern, you know. And yeah, that's definitely been reported back to Pastor Caesar, he says. Pastor Caesar will agree with me, I'm sure, you know. So. Here's some of the things that are listed in the Bible as specific demonic forces. And just think of these women and think how nice, respectable people in the Bible could have these things. The first one is jealousy. Can you be a woman and have a spirit of jealousy? Can you be a respectable guy with no apparent outward problems but have a spirit of jealousy? I think you can. The next one is called ill will or an evil intention towards someone. Distressing. Lying or deceiving. Perversion, distortion or dizziness. That's an interesting one. It's hard to translate that Hebrew word. Twisting the truth. Do people ever say things to you and you take it the wrong way? And no matter how they say it, it just comes out all different inside of you. Or do you take something good and make it sound bad? Do you take the love that people give you and find some reason to reject it because you just can't believe it and, and tell them they don't love you? Deep sleep. That better not be happening to anyone right now or we shall stop and pray for you immediately. Deep sleep's another one. Seriously, do you ever feel... And then the next one is heaviness, fainting, or despair. Listen, these are not things like acting hard or chewing gum. You know why I say chewing gum? It used to be our sort of thing in church. It used to say to us, don't drink, don't chew, don't mix with boys who do, and God will come and rapture you. That was how we're supposed to live the Christian life. You laugh. I went to a church once where a guy got saved in the morning and he came to the evening meeting and the elders picked him out. He was from a criminal background. He got gloriously saved after many years. His mother had been praying for him for years and years and years. And the elders made him stand up and said, you, you're chewing in church. Stop it. They picked him out for that. That's a demon of religion. Go find yourself another church. Actually, we did, because that church excommunicated me and Sally. Did you know that? We've been excommunicated. They threw us out. They invited us to dinner one night. It was all very pleasant. They invited us to dinner. We had a nice dinner and said, now I have to do this, but the elders of the church have told me to excommunicate me. So there you are. I'm, I'm riffraff. I'm 
unlikely, I'd been thrown out of one particular denomination for speaking in tongues. Hallelujah, I agree. <laughs> Here's another spirit from the Old Testament, harlotry or prostitution, uncleanness or impurity. In the New Testament, deafness, mute, robbed of speech, infirmity causing sickness, crippling, fortune-telling or divination or the occult, deceiving and deceitful, fear, being timid, error, and false teaching. Those are all demons or demonic spirits specifically named in the Scripture. Now, see, that isn't with boys who chew or dance or drink. That is with ordinary, respectable people who come to church looking for a safe sermon on Sunday morning. But if we carry stuff around in our lives like that, we will never, ever be the wonderful world-changing disciples that God's called us to be. But the good news is we don't have to carry it around. We've been having an encounter weekend. Funny thing was, we normally have a message about this on the encounter, but we have a shorter time. We didn't get that far. This was the next passage some weeks, weeks ago the Lord laid on my heart, and here it is again. So you, God's got you anyway. Here's some other areas that people who regularly minister in this way find evil spirits are behind. Different areas of physical illness, including arthritis, cancer, epilepsy, migraine, thrombosis, asthma, crippling, head pain, and even things like sinusitis. Now, I'm not saying every case of those is a demon, but sometimes they are. Let me tell you what happened to me one day. I got a phone call from a guy to go to his house and pray for him. His wife says he is in bed screaming in pain. I took another guy from the church with me, and as we arrived at the house, we could hear him. We're walking up the stairs. We stopped at the same moment on the stairs. We looked at each other, and the guy said to me, this feels like an evil spirit. Do you know, you're right. That's the same impression I had going up the stairs. We get into the bedroom. He is spinning on the bed. He's going round like this twisting from his waist, and his, his feet are up where the pillars are, and his head's down, the pillars are gone off there, and he's just going round on the bed like this. He's in that much pain. So we, we said to him between gasps and screams, what's happening? He said, I've been diagnosed with a kidney stone, or kidney stones, and I'm waiting for treatment to go and have treatment, but you know, I'm, I'm in terrible pain. It's got blocked again. You know, the, the duct has got blocked with these stones. Get Derek's book out. No kidney stones in here. <laughs> so... So I said to this guy, I said, I said, look, do you mind if we pray for you to cast out an evil spirit? He said, no, anything, 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 just please help me. I have to say, I was looking at the guy thinking, should we call an ambulance or not? I mean, you do think these, this is the natural one, but we were way out in the country. It would take an hour, an, an, maybe an hour for an ambulance to get there. They live way out in the back of beyond. It was a posh neighborhood. We, we used to be posh once, then we moved to Newcastle. No, I'm only joking. <laughs> So, this is, this, and I love it, it's the best. <laughs> anyway, we start to pray for him, and we command that spirit to come out. Now, when you are dealing with an evil spirit, there's only one thing you need to know. That's all. And that's how to get the thing out. And you get the evil spirit out by speaking to it in a firm, authoritative, commanding voice. Now, 
If you've ever seen the program Dad's Army, this is not like Sergeant Wilson's speaks to the troops. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, um, would you mind chaps just awfully lining up if it's not too inconvenient? That will get you nowhere. Imagine you have a dog who's out playing in a wet, muddy garden and you've just washed the kitchen floor and the dog comes in. The dog comes in on your floor. You do not be nice to the dog. You say, get out! That's all you need to do. Just imagine you're talking to, the, to your dog and the dog's got muddy paws on your floor and you don't want to get it messy again. The demon has muddy, filthy paws on your life and spirit and soul and you don't want to get it messy again. Tell it to get out. And you have to be firm. Now, you don't have to shout. They're not deaf. But you do have to be firm and clear. Leave now in the name of Jesus. Go. What do you have to say? There's a few little steps before that that help. But essentially, that's the arrowhead. That's the sharp point. So we did that. Now, we spent a little while. We spent about an hour praying. Sometimes you have to hang on in there and pray a bit more. till He stopped spinning on the bed, and he's breathing and panting away. He says, I just feel a bit, quite a bit better. Feel released. And the atmosphere lifted at that point. We knew something had happened in the spirit. So the next two days later, he had an appointment anyway to go to the hospital, to be assessed, the operation. He, they did whatever they do. I think it was an ultrasound. Is that an ultrasound they do on, on a bile duct, something like that? Anyway, they, they, they used whatever technology they did to have a look inside. And they said, well, we don't need to operate on you. There's no stones in you anymore. They said, what there is, a strange thing. He said, it's like there's all this sludge running out of your bile duct. The doctors said that. He came home and never had the operation. Never had any more pain or problems since. See, sometimes, and you have to discern this at the time, at the moment, in the Lord, the sickness has the power of an evil spirit attached to it. And by delivering the person from that evil spirit, the sickness also goes. A physical change takes It's as real as that. Now, my own personal conviction is that can happen in other parts of the, our bodies as well, including our heads, including our brains, including where the power of addiction has got into us and actually started to rewire our brain in a different way. I do believe that by the power of the blood of Jesus and being released from the demonic spirit, Physical changes can happen to you anywhere in your body, including in your brain. God can rewire some of your circuits up there so that we think and react differently. No wonder Jesus wanted to get his disciples free so they could really be world changers. I'm awfully quiet. I told you this was risky and dangerous. Here's some other issues that people often need deliverance from an evil spirit for. Adultery, fears. There's all kinds of fears, a whole category of fears. Let me just tell you a few from my own experience. Fear comes in many different forms. I testified before, I had a fear of getting cancer. I couldn't hear it mentioned without this fear gripped me. It was irrational. No cancer in my immediate family, but I thought every time I heard it mentioned, I, mean, I, couldn't even, I couldn't even talk about it like this now. 
I was too fearful about it. This, it's going to happen to me. Came over me. I had to get that spirit cast out of me. Thank God for my pastor who was willing to pray for me and tell it to go. And likewise, another fear I came across. One of our cell leaders in previous church came to me one day and he was talking to me about his fear of loneliness and lostness and abandonment. And it related to his family and losing his father when he was young. There's something called an orphan spirit. It's a fear of being abandoned. It's a fear of being left. It's a fear of not having connection with the right people in the Lord. Those fears are very real. And you, you try to rationalize it all yourself and tell yourself, oh, the Bible says, but nevertheless, the feeling of the fear is there inside of you and you can't push it away. It just bounces back. We have to recognize this. It touches us like this. Is that real? Here's some other criticism, envy, gossip, hopelessness, or despair. Murder, rebellion, religion, stress, violence, disappointment, fantasy, hatred, masturbation, perversion, rejection, self-pity, suicide, and witchcraft. They're all listed in this very dangerous book here. Let's go to the good bits and tell us how to get free. Let me tell you, by the way, what the demonic does to you. It grips you it fills your mind with thoughts. It fills you with feelings that you don't want to have. Actually, quite often, it will catch you out in the middle of nowhere. Some people have been woken up in the night and just got up and sinned. For no other reason, this thing's been stirring up inside of them. I was showing one guy the other day, he's so addicted to the video games he's on. He wakes up in the night and goes and plays video games with the other side of the world that's still awake. Something's gripping him. Can't even sleep a decent night's sleep. One thing that the demonic does is it torments us. It gives us a feeling inside of shame, condemnation, almost like mockery and feeling sorry for ourselves, and you can't get rid of it. No matter how strong you try to be on the outside, on the inside, you're being pressured by this thing to feel this way. You can't shake it off. It won't go. Demons are often associated with addictions and compulsive forms of behavior. I see Christians locked with compulsive forms of behavior, having to check all the locks on the doors two and three times at night because they're fearful, having to wash their hands X times a day, or they're struggling with an eating disorder. They love Jesus. They want to be his disciple, but they're carrying this thing. Listen, you don't have to carry that anymore. Neither do you have to excuse it, accommodate it, or pretend it's not there. You just have to tell it to get out in the name of Jesus. Demons cause us to feel unclean. They deceive us. They lie to us. They give us thought forms in our head that lie to us, and they can make us physically sick as well. If we can't get free and we keep going around the same old loop, then it's a good time to investigate the possibility of some kind of demonic grip on our lives that needs to be cast out. Let me encourage you, read the Gospels again and see how much of this Jesus does. He did it to his 12. It wasn't just the crowds that were sick. 
he did it to these wonderful, beautiful, brilliant, intelligent, hard-working women who were great followers. They needed his help. Now, if Jesus gathered a group of us today, what do you think he would do with us? He would turn us from being 99.7% into 0.3%. It wouldn't take long to do it either. And somewhere early on, he would say, come here. There's some stuff in your life that needs to be got rid of. Come out. Come out of it. And never enter him again or her again. He would speak to the Spirit and tell it to leave. Well, here's the good news. Jesus is living in you. So you can do this yourself. So I'm reading this book on holiday in the morning, not telling Sally. And Sally, every morning, we're on a campsite, and I'm only in a tent. Every morning, Sally goes over to the shop and goes over to do whatever the facilities are over there, you know, the, the shower room and all that. And while she's gone, I'm reading the book. So I want a bit of privacy in that. So I'm sitting in the tent. Bad idea. Tents don't stop sound. Never go camping if you've had an argument with your husband or wife. It's a bad idea. And never go camping if you're reading this book. Because as I'm reading the book, the demonic is being stirred up inside me just through reading the book. And I'm sitting in the chair there, and I'm feeling terrible here. Oh, God, something's happening. I could feel all stirred up inside. The next minute, I'm in the tent, and I'm going, oh, and this thing starts to rise up inside of me, and I'm starting to make all these sort of awful noises and sound. Listen, when the demon comes out, it comes out through your mouth and the breath. Now, why is that physical thing attached to that spiritual thing? I don't understand. I just tell you that's how it is. Time after time in the Bible, it comes out through the mouth with a scream, a shout, and other reactions. So I'm reading the book, and I'm starting to react to this book. Sally, of course, is over washing the, the breakfast stuff up. And when she's coming back, what's going on in our tent? <laughs> Strange sounds coming out of this. Is he ill? Is he all right? Are you all right? Oh, I shouldn't be reading this book, and God is doing work in my life. You better go wash some more dishes. I'm gonna... <laughs> what the rest of the campsite thought, I have no idea. We were 10 days on that campsite. Funny enough, all the other people left very quickly. I don't know why. <laughs> but in the end, it was one of the best, most memorable holidays I've ever had. Morning by morning, I met the Lord. And in the privacy of my own tent, I recognized these things, along with all the rest of the campsite, in the privacy of my own tent. <laughs> and... Do you know what? I got to the point I couldn't care less. Jesus cast demons out of people in front of each other in public. I couldn't care about the embarrassment. I was just so glad to be free. And that fear of cancer. It wasn't that one at the time. It was something else. From that fear of this or that or the other. From that thing that had gripped my thinking and my thoughts and my mindset and my life. I was happy to be free. Do you know they say the people who make the best deliverance ministry people, those had lots of deliverance themselves. If that's true, I should be the world's number one demon prayer. I mean, I have had so much prayer for deliverance. And I'm always open to more, aren't we, Ian? Well, we, we've got a story or two to tell. We got caught one day at a conference by somebody, didn't we? It was a great time. We were a bunch of leaders. 
And we were in Peru, and uh, one of the leaders started saying, it's really important, pastor here, he really wants to get all the demons out of his leaders. And as they were talking, all the leaders started to react in the room. It was powerful, wasn't it? The really great time of deliverance. There was still stuff to come out in our lives. You never know what's hiding there. Now, what we're going to do this morning is, because time's gone away with us, we've not got a lot of time to do much this morning. We're just going to pray simply for you. I'm going to send you away. And if your week gets worse, I did warn you. Have you ever had that feeling where you know you've eaten something bad for you and you feel like you're going to vomit? And everything in you wants to and doesn't want to at the same time. You know if you can get rid of this vomit, then you will be feeling a lot better afterwards. But the act of actually vomiting is awful. I told you this was a risky and dangerous. I should have called it revolting and disgusting sermon, shouldn't I? That is, it's an R&D sermon. It's a revolting and disgusting. But you know, seriously, if you've ever had a really bad stomach infection, you know that feeling, the relief that comes when all that poison is out. But at the same time, you're trying to keep it, because the burning sensation is awful when it comes. It's just like that being delivered of a demon. There's a desire to get it out and a desire to keep it in all at the same time. Because the, 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 the stress of it is actually quite physically pressurizing. Some of you nodding your heads, you've been through this, you know what I mean. This is Jesus. This is the gospel. This is the Bible. This is the Jesus you signed up for, the deliverer from demons. He's here with us right now, and he still casts out demons today. He does it here, does it at home, does it in your cell. And I want to say to you, don't go away from this meeting without, if you like, putting a written notice of re eviction on those demons in your life. We ain't going to get time to pray for everybody this morning with the time we've got. But we will revisit this. And you can revisit yourself. You can get the book if you want to. It's available to download on iBooks and um, Kindle, everything like that. Get a tent in your garden and read the book. It'll be an interesting experience. <laughs> you can be free. You can tell the demon to go from your own life says this, these signs shall follow them that believe. It's not pastors. It's not even the 12 or the men. It's them that believe. In They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Well, we're all, we're all up for doing that. In my name they shall cast out demons. You can start with yourself. Now, when you feel the reaction of the demon, don't speak in tongues. This is the time to just let the demon do its stuff and go from you. Let the Holy Spirit minister to you and push that demon out of your life. I expect some testimonies next week. We're going to pray in a moment in a particular way. Now, when I say it gets worse, sometimes you can go home and God can still be working you after the message. The woman, a woman in our church, when Derek Pritz visited, he prayed over her and he, he said, I put a I've never heard of this before. He said, I put a time fuse on this demon. That night she went home. As she got into bed, an almighty reaction started to happen in her. She ran to the bathroom, was coughing. She actually slightly sort of coughed up with it because she got freed that night. There was another woman in our church. She said, I don't believe this man and his ministry. He's not praying for me. She avoided him all week. 
on the very last day of the week, he stood at the door and he shook her hand as she went out. She collapsed on the floor and the demon started to come out of her. <laughs> God got her in the end and she needed to be free. But the demon can deceive you and keep you away from the very point of getting free. You'll find all kinds of excuses, all kinds of pressures. If you go for this, and you should, there'll be a barrier to push through because the enemy will try to make it feel worse before it feels better. He doesn't want to give up the grip he has on our lives, whether it's a fear or a jealousy attitude or a sickness or anything else that he puts on us God's will is for you to be his world changers and to be free from those demonic bondages and we are going to pray for you right now we're going to pray for you in the coming weeks we're not going to stop you understand there is going to be time between now and Christmas for you to get free of this stuff happy Christmas everybody but why don't we all stand right now Simple steps to getting free. Repent of any sin. Forgive anybody you've got any issues with. Total repentance, total forgiveness. Renounce all sin and rebellion and failure in your life. A failure, I mean the failure of sin. And then take your stand at the cross with Jesus. I say, I take my stand at the cross with Jesus. And I tell that spirit of infirmity. I tell that spirit of sickness. I tell that spirit of lust. I tell that spirit of poverty. I tell that spirit of jealousy. I tell that spirit of theft or whatever it may be, rebellion, to go from my life in the name of Jesus. And it says, these signs shall follow them that believe. The only barrier to this is faith. If you believe, God will meet you pray for us now. Now, if while I've been speaking, you feel, do you know, there's some kind of hole in my life that I need to get free of, while our eyes are closed, you have to say what it is. We're not going to embarrass anybody here today. If you want to raise your hand and acknowledge that before the Lord as the first step saying, Lord, I recognize there's a grip on my life that shouldn't be there prevents me from leading the life you want me to do. Just raise your hand. Your hand's raised. Okay. I'm going to pray for you now. This doesn't have to be long and drawn out. I feel the Lord saying here, by the way, disappointment. Someone is wrestling with a spirit of disappointment. It hasn't turned out like you wanted it to, or you thought it would. The Lord wants to set you free from that spirit because his hand is still with you and on your life. In Jesus' name. Now, I'd like you to repeat a, a simple prayer with me. Put your hands down now. Just repeat a simple prayer with me. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. See, we're already getting some reaction in the spirit. You understand? Please repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I come to you now as the deliverer from demons. Right now, I recognize my own need. Lord, I forgive 
every person, including, that's your chance, just quietly to tell the Lord who you need to forgive if you do. I'm going to continue. Lord Jesus, I confess my sin. I need your forgiveness. I especially confess. Now, tell the Lord anything you need to confess. And the more specific you can be, the better. someone has controlled you then the spirit of control comes from them onto you as well if you've been the recipient of control you need to repent of that because the spirit of control can take control over you if you've been bullied same thing happens the spirit can take hold in you as well let's keep praying together Lord, right now, I renounce all wrong in my life, all the acts of sin in my life. I renounce all occult involvement in my life, all occult involvement in my family, in the name of Jesus. I renounce that now, and I ask you by the blood of Jesus, cover that sin and forgive me and my family line in Jesus name Lord I thank you that you are the miracle worker that you're the one who sets me free and right now I repent of and I renounce this spirit of now you name whatever it is you need to name before the Lord okay now we're going to carry on praying. I tell this spirit of and you name it go now from my life in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, you spirit of fear, you spirit of... Go from my life now. Now tell it to go in Jesus' name. Go in Jesus' name and let it go. Let it rise up in you like a breath and leave your life now. I'm going to keep praying for you, but you keep telling it to go and then breathe it out in a breath. Release it now in Jesus' name. Father, we speak now to every demonic spirit here to flee in the name of Jesus. Jesus, the deliverer, is here. And we tell these demonic spirits, go in the name of Jesus. The power of Jesus is here to set his people free this afternoon. And we say to every demonic spirit, your power is broken at the cross. Your power is defeated by the blood of Jesus. And in the authority of his name, we tell you, leave now. Leave the lives of his people now in the name of Jesus. Go from this place. Go from these lives. Go now in Jesus' name. Go and never return in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus, 
leave now. Amen. Now keep telling it to leave. We're going to spend a few more minutes in ministry before we send you home. And let the Lord minister to you. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus.